You're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have on a podcast an example of someone who has really a great passion and has made a great impact on helping people reach their potential. Angel Guerra, founder of the Pro Firm and Karma and Blessings. I'm glad to have you on the show and um, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, why don't we start off by tell me about ProFirm, how you came about starting that and, and what that looks like. What do you do? The ProFirm has actually only been around about 12 months. Um, I am a national risk manager for an international bakery and came into risk management about three years ago. Um, I've been in the, I would say, insurance industry approximately 10 years. And throughout my, I would like to say metamorphosis, because I've kind of gone through three different um, roles within the industry, I've recognized that as you move up, I will say the ladder, as many people do, um, but into different roles, there becomes a lot of different barriers that we see. And um, they're much different for women than they are for men. And sometimes we see that we have some brilliant women um, that come in or they're trying to navigate their careers into a different realm and are having a little bit of trouble for one reason or the other. So I began to mentor women in each actually role that I did within the insurance industry. I mentored both men and women, um, but really took a passion to mentoring women and providing them any information that I have. It's very important for me to be able to give anything I have because I don't believe in watching somebody kind of hit barriers that you can prevent for them. When I came into risk management, I recognized that we are outnumbered about 1 to 15 based on the, <laughs> based on the federal regulations and kind of surveys that they do. We're about 1 to 15. And I was mentoring three different uh, female risk managers that were new coming over from other roles and thought, how can I grow this and really talk to more women? And not just me, but other women in different roles who have expertise that I may not have. And it grew into, well, let's start a seminar. 40 women, let's invite 40 women. And that's how it started. Um, we've had... I would say I've had eight kind of seminar workshops in the last 12 months, and we just did a health retreat uh, on Carnival Cruise with 24 women. That's, that's fascinating to me that it's one in 15. That is uh, 6% and you know, an incredible ratio, and, um, and yet you've kind of made your way there first. You're kind of the pathfinder there. Um, what was the difference for you? I think that for me, it was my personality is. Um, I kind of knock down doors. It's just the way I am. Um, it, I wasn't like that when I was young, but I overcame a fear and thought all they can do is tell me no. And so I take that approach in everything. If I want something, if I'm working very, and I work very hard, but I think all they can do is tell me no. And then when they tell me no, I never walk away with just a no. The next step becomes, what do I need to do to get a yes? And I really believe that that might be the factor because I sit with people and say, okay, what do you need from me? What do I have to do to get a yes? And they'll outline that for me. 
I always send a follow-up email thanking them for their time based on our conversation. This is what you're requesting of me, and I'm going to come back to you when that's finished. The second step is twofold. If you've done all that work and you go back and you get a no again, then don't be afraid to look at other companies or look in other avenues where people recognize that you have that value. And I never take it personally. If they tell me no the second time, that just means that I've done all the legwork that they asked me to do and other companies or other people are going to recognize that and value that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's very interesting in, in my practice. I've seen a lot of that, um, both for men and women. But it does seem to me that women are, are less likely to ask the questions or to persist or to jump companies. Do you find that to be the case as well? I think so. I think that there's a lot of um, fear in that for many uh, women who are trying to determine different reasons. And I think also that what we see as a woman historically, um, based on, you know, many surveys, many reviews is when, of course, when we have a baby, uh, many times where we have to remove ourselves from work, at least for a small amount of time. Um, it's well known that when they are elderly parents or family members are in need of, say, senior assistance, it's normally the female who is going to take time from work or stop working in order to do that. And so there's a fear of kind of movement of one, not getting, um, not being recognized or not being able to get a secondary job, um, not having the amount of years. So if somebody has spent five years or 10 years in a company, now they go into a new company. It's, um, meeting new people, having to prove themselves all over again, um, unsure of seniority. There's so many reasons that I have seen or I've actually spoken with women and they've described to me. Yeah, you know, it's, um, and I've coached quite a few women in my practice as well. And there's, there's a leaves, like you talked about, and you're right, it almost always is, is the woman on a leave. But there's another dynamic that seems to come into play a lot. And that is a man often has the woman at home who is handling the domestic stuff, even if she's working. And it doesn't seem to happen. I'm not going to say never, but it doesn't happen as often where the man is like picking up all the domestic duties and uh, taking care of the children and so forth. What, what is it that a woman can do to kind of work past those barriers? I mean, what, what kind of things do you teach them on that? Overcoming the stigma of getting help. Mm -hmm. So culturally we are, looked upon as being able to um, or should be able to do it all. And many times I have actually heard people say, well, if you can't work and take care of the home, then maybe you shouldn't work or, you know, we, you should really be focused on. And so I think that for women, there's a stigma of having a babysitter, um, having, say, a house cleaner who comes in once a week, things like that that could assist. And so for me, I... And that's something I had to overcome as well. You know, I have three children. Uh, I have a household myself. And um, many times it was like, oh, gosh, okay, how do I divvy up my time? Well, I really have to clean the house. I have to cook dinner. I have to do all these things. Um, and so I had to recognize that my time was better spent um, building a business or better spent really um, kind of breaking down into my career and cleaning the toilets 
I could have somebody come in here to do that for me, to help me. And, and it was okay. And so it was giving myself permission. And so I tell women that a lot, give yourself the permission to hire somebody to help you with the odds and ends um, that maybe are not as important. Do you want to clean your bathroom or do you want to take your kids on, you know, a movie theater and dinner, something like that? Where's your time better spent? Yeah, I think uh, getting help is such a big concept and I've seen it. I've seen some, some very successful female executives go through that process, you know, because there is that, that emotional aspect to it or that stigma that they don't want to get the help. And um, when they do, and I've seen them hire the housekeepers, I've seen nannies, babysitters, whatever it is, it's, it's a better experience for not just them in the workplace, but it's a better experience at home as well. You know, it's a, I don't think people realize that they think that by trying to balance everything, they can, they're going to be better for the family. And it just doesn't work out that way a lot. A lot of times getting help's key. So so what are, what are some of the other barriers? Um, I'm really interested in risk management because I'm used to seeing numbers that are skewed, but you know, not skewed to the 15 to one. Are, Are women just not entering that field or is there something else going on there? Um, I believe that that really is what it is, um, that men, women aren't entering as quickly um, into that field. And for risk management, many times it means different things to different companies. So it could be safety as well um, that get combined with risk management. So if you're looking at companies such as warehouse companies, construction companies, uh, many things like that, it's been, I would say, you know, something that predominantly men have been doing and um, coming in to those things as well as upper management. So we see many women come, come into upper management in HR, coming up in finance, things like that. Um, But safety, you know, you go through OSHA um, classes and certifications to really recognize safety Uh, for risk. You're taking a look at machinery ergonomics, um, travel, so many different things as well as legalities, what's going on um, in your state, because every state handles risk differently, whether you're looking at workers' comp, auto, or general liability. And being able to recognize that when women get into these roles, it's really important for us to turn back. I always say one hand on the mountain you're climbing and one hand out for your sister. So take a look back and say, are there roles or positions that you see opening up that you can either mentor other people for or refer them and recommend them? Because many times people get hired because they know somebody working at a company. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we talked about that in an earlier podcast where that is really kind of going in that side door is, is really a big benefit. It's much easier than going to apply and going through that whole process. But, you know, it's been also been my observation that it does seem to happen more for men. And um, the women have been a little bit less likely, at least the ones that I've worked with, to reach out and to, um, to try to get that help. So it's kind of an interesting comment. Networking. Yeah. So it, it's a big networking thing. And, you know, we kind of touched on it just a few minutes ago where women are more likely to come home to do the domestics, take care of the kids, mm-hmm. cook dinner, clean house. Much of the networking is done after work, right. whether you're going to a ball game, whether you're meeting up at a mixer, um, you know, even conferences, 
if there are two-day, three-day conferences where network is happening, many times a woman may be less likely to take that conference trip than a man is. And networking is very ideal. And not just networking outside of your company, which I have only been doing probably two or three years. This is new to me as well. Um, but networking also within your company. And so what we see um, is if you see your CEO, your DVPs that are, you know, having lunch at the water cooler, whatever, not having that fear to go up and introduce yourself, get to know them on a regular basis. Um, because networking doesn't have to have, doesn't have to happen only after hours. You should be networking where you work during your workday. And when you get to know your upper management, and they get to know you, they get to know your traits and your strengths, that also, I would say, supersedes mentorship, but actually goes into sponsorship, which you see more male than you do female. Yeah. It, that's, that's such an important point, the whole idea of internal networking. And, you know, for many years, I sat at that table and, you know, with the CEO and the COO, and I was a head of HR, and we, we talked about you know, the people that are going to rise to the organization. We did the succession plan. We did all those exercises. And, you know, it's so important to know, to be known by that group, to have, to be out and about and networking and meeting people at all levels of the organization. And, you know, it's, uh, it is important to do those internal networking things. But like you said, there's this barrier. And we talked earlier about getting help. Is there anything else that women can do to, to get at those conferences, to get into those happy hours and things like that? Sometimes um, they take a look at them and say, I can't do like those three-day conferences. But really taking a look at local conferences that may be four-hour half days, talking to their supervisors and recognizing that I would really like to grow in this area. And that includes taking my you know, CE units, not just online but getting into physical classrooms or, you know, conferences where this is occurring, um, when they do get there, not being afraid to introduce themselves, talk to other people. Um, I know it's funny, but I always say I am like a big toddler. So I'm like a preschooler. I go into places and try to make as many friends as I can. Um, <laughs> and you don't know who knows who, and you don't know what kind of connections you're gonna make. Many of them are amazing. You'll keep in contact with them and you'll be able to share information. So if you're both working in risk or you're both working in HR or safety, there may be something in your program that you need help with. There may be something in their program that you're doing really well, and it's networking and then taking it to the next level and building those relationships. But they only start when you begin to talk to other people. Yeah, you know, it's and networking at its core is really what you said. It's, you know, like a toddler making friends. And uh, sometimes we make it into this, you know, scary thing. It really is about making friends. So you had this passion and you rose a ladder 12 months ago or, or so. And um, instead of you know, reaching your hand out to, to grab a sister, you reach your hand out to grab hundreds of sisters or 40 to start with. Talk to me about um, what it took to actually make that move. Um, you know, that's, a, that's a, you know, a big jump in a lot of ways. You know, you're already working a full-time job and now you're going to add this on top of it. What was your thought process and what did you do to kick that off? I'm going to be honest, there was some fear um, because this was an idea that had been sitting with me and 
talking to other people about it, um, you know, not everybody is as positive as you would hope they would be. And so, you know, I was hearing that's not going to work. There's other places they could go, lots of different things like that. And I actually sat with it for about six months and something just was not allowing me to let it go. It was because I think it was a passion. It was something beyond myself. And um, I spoke with a few service partners and actually friends that I have that said, you know what, Angel, give it a try. What's the worst that can happen? And we'll go ahead and sponsor the first event. And sponsoring the first event meant that I could invite risk managers and HR managers and claims managers for free. So they wouldn't have any out of pocket, which was important to me as well. So I thought, okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> I put together this logo, which is really inspired by Rosie the Riveter and putting her into a modern day business uniform and started to network with women and just say, I'm having this event. I actually Started in April, I scheduled the first event in September to give myself time to finish up sponsorship, to pay for the event, and rally enough women to attend. And then just jumped both feet in. Wow. And so you, right off the bat, you kind of almost hit a home run there. You got the sponsors. Um, how, easy, how easy is it for you to keep getting sponsors? It's not. <laughs> it's very hard work. Um, for many reasons. And initially, and I do have a few sponsors who have had really amazing um, time and, and been able to network as well there. So they continue to sponsor, but bringing in new sponsorship is really hitting the ground. You know, you reach out to these people and have to explain what this is about. And you all know that with sponsorship, it's return on investment, right? So they want to know, what am I going to get from this? And so, you know, really making sure that I created this organization with everybody in mind. So I take a look at the attendees and say, if I was attending this, what do I want to get out of it? If I'm a sponsor, what do I want to get out of it? And so that's really what it is. It's taking a look at it every single time I put these on and say, I want to give everybody the best experience. And I know from my experience as a risk manager going into conferences, um, as an attendee, if you have a lot of sponsors there, you can feel like chum in the water because you walk in and everybody wants your business. Um, on the opposite spectrum, if you're a sponsor standing behind a table, you're just hoping that somebody stops to talk to you. Yeah. And so I took it out of that realm and I normally do one sponsor per service. Um, they don't sit behind tables. They actually come and sit at the tables with our attendees. It's low pressure. They get to network as women, as business women. They get to build friendships and the sponsors who continue to come back each time really get to build really good relationships with people because we do business with people that we know we like mm -hmm. and we trust so if sponsors are coming back time and time again attendees get to know them they get to network and have lunch together laugh listen to the speakers so they get to like them 
which means it's an easier door to open when you're trying to do business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what kind of services do you offer? So I bring in speakers that are experts in their fields. We have had a financial advisor come in and talk about women and money. Do you have a 401k? If you don't, how do we help you open one up? How much should you be putting in your 401k? What type of 401k should you use? Um, if you've been putting money in, depending on your age or how much money, how much should you be putting in if you know X amount is your goal? Um, so bringing those people in to really discuss one-on-one, -on -one, you know, if we're having a small group, 40 or 70 women, and they have an hour to outline, this is why it's important. Um, we've had ergonomics come in and talk about, you know, body positioning. We have had um, attorneys come in and talk about negotiation skills, not in the courtroom, but how do you negotiate a raise? How do you negotiate a new position with a new company? How do you sell your idea if you are one of the only women at the boardroom? Um, so really taking a look at things that we need in not just business, but life and expand on those and bring in experts in their fields to talk about that. So there's, there's a lot of like interaction between the people and a lot of group work. Like, do you ever do anything one-on-one -on -one with them? No, other than my small mentoring. And usually that comes about by somebody saying, Hey, I know this person and they, you know, could use some help. And then I just, you know, phone calls, emails, provide them any information that I have that I can help them with. And usually, you know, it might be two or three women um, at a time, but not on a grand scale. Yeah, but, but it kind of happens organically. It does, very yeah. organically. Yeah, so, and that's, that's part of the power of um, the networking, I think, you know, is you get to know people and that's how you find mentors. You know, there's, there's a lot of formal mentoring programs that are out there that, you know, within companies. But the informal networks are often overlooked. And so it's another kind of great opportunity. Uh, do you recommend um, to any of the women that they, that they find these mentors? Or, or how do you kind of get that kind of thought process going in their head? So I think mentorship is very important. But we see a lot of negativity sometimes when they talk about mentors because people say, you know, they think it may be overrated or if you're a business professional, they don't want to be blindsided either that they don't want their email inundated with 30 women that they've never met saying, Hey, can you mentor me? Yeah. Um, which is again, where networking comes into play. But I do recommend that we, that women determine what is it that you want to improve on and then find somebody in that area who's doing it or who's successful in it. Um, start to make those connections, start, to talk to people. You have a lot of connectors. That's the other thing I do. I always say, I'm not an expert in every field. Um, so if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I, Angel, I have this question. I reach out to somebody else and say, would you be willing to talk to them? Could, you, could they have 10 minutes of your time? And then I connect them together. Now, that person who came to me wasn't looking for a mentor, but they found something that they wanted help with and had the courage to come to me and say, can you help me with this? 
and then I connect them to somebody else who can. And that's where a lot of mentorship really comes from is not blindly, you know, walking into a room and saying, Hey, you, I know you're the CEO of this amazing company. Can you mentor me? But starting to talk to people that you know and you're comfortable with and then getting connected with other people who are doing what you want to be doing. Yeah, that's great advice because, you know, I've been on the other end of that many times and, you know, it's, if you don't really know a person, it's really hard to be, you know, that authentic mentor. You need to establish a relationship, you know, especially when it's on a um, kind of an unofficial level. So kind of switching gears a little bit, what's, what's next for ProFirm? So 2020, I'm hoping to really make solid this year. Um, 2019 was getting onto the map and getting people to know what the pro firm is about. And 2020 is growing that and recognizing many people in the industry. So in February, I have a gala in Newport Beach. Um, we rented a yacht. We have room for 200 people. And I'll be giving um, awards to both women and men in the industry who have really been able to mentor or hire women and make them partners or managers and really be able to elevate uh, women in our industry throughout risk, safety, HR, and then also people who reach out to our local communities and work with nonprofits or do things that help either women or children. And uh, it's really going to be a celebration. It's going to be a way to fundraise for my nonprofit as well to help some of the kids in the Inland Empire and be a celebration. So the pro firm does education as well as wants to celebrate and recognize and build a sisterhood, um, which is changing a culture and a mindset. So throughout history and really as I've been growing up, what we recognize or what we've been told is there's room at the table for one woman. And that's kind of what we're taking a look at. And what happens is when you have that one woman who makes it to the table of 20 men, there's sometimes is a fear of keeping that seat. And so dynamics are not always positive when talking to other women. And so what I keep, I say, preaching is if there's 20 seats at the table, there's room for, you know, 10, 20 women. It doesn't matter. And so what we need to recognize is the culture isn't, I mean, there's always going to be competition. That's the name of the game in business. But there's a difference between, you know, stepping on people and, and having friendly competition. And so in 2020, I'm really focusing on changing the language and the culture and what we say to women of all ages. If you're in management, bring up other people with you. There's other seats. Um, and really teach them and engulf yourself into having a positive dynamic. It makes for a better business. Yeah, and, and that's really a kind of a great way to, to wrap it up. I mean, it really just says it all right there. You know, from the concept of don't be so focused on keeping your one seat. Let's look at expanding it, you know, and help others along the way. It's a, a really great message. Um, I want, I want to thank you uh, both for your time today and, uh, and joining me on a podcast, but also for what you're doing to really help women uh, reach their potential. I think it's a great thing and uh, I wish you all the luck in a, having a great 2020. Thank you so much.